Welcome to Human Tech, a podcast about the intersection between humans and technology. My name is Guthrie. I'm here with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hello, Guthrie. And today we have a very special guest, Pamela Polishak, founder of Change Science and Sounding Box and faculty at the Pratt Institute of Information, I believe, in New York City. Um, did I get that right? Um, yeah, Pratt Institute School of Information, and it's based in New York City. That's right. Cool. Well, hello, Paula. Pamela, sorry. <laughs> oh, I, I looked at the last name. Oh, Pavel Shuck, and, yes. you, and you turned that yes. into Paula. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, that's all right. We'll forgive you. Or, I don't know. I'll forgive you. That's so, it. Interview um, over. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we're done. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. You know, I, I have, there's so much stuff. I, when I was thinking about before we, we started the call, I was thinking, wow, there's just so many things I want to ask. I don't even know where to start. Because we have a, I, mean, I think we share a number of different interests in common. I know that you speak on um, the relationship uh, that people have to technology, especially in regards to, you know, emotional relationships with technology, which is something I'm really, really interested in as well. Um, so maybe, but, you know, why don't we start with what is the thing, what things are you most interested in or excited about or pondering about these days in in terms of people and technology? Like what's kind of you know, rolling around in your brain and, and you're wondering where we're headed or how to think about it. Yeah, well, I think I'm obsessed with this idea of our emotional life. So the more um, we think about the future of ourselves and the future of humans with regard to um, artificial intelligence and just kind of the scope of technologies that are out there. I think what we're seeing is a lot of fear, almost to the point where I wonder if artificial intelligence and the mere mention of it is like setting off mental health issues, you know, all over the place. And so I'm really interested on exploring that kind of um, effect that technology has not so much on the outside world as much as it has on our psyche and our inner world and that kind of emotional layer that we feel. And that combines with this movement that's happening in the study of emotion that's so fascinating right now is that, you know, there's so many competing theories. I mean, William James asked in, you know, 1884, what is an emotion? And we still don't really have an answer to that, or we have many, many different answers to that. And so I think, you know, the, the rise of AI and technology that intersects with emotion in a lot of different ways with this kind of burgeoning interest, scholarship, um, investigation of emotion, that is what is really fascinating to me. And of course, I'm a, you know, I'm a design researcher. So my quest for the past, you know, 15 years has been investigating our relationship with technology in all kinds of different ways. And it's always struck me as very funny because I'll have lots of projects that our focus is definitely not emotion. And yet everywhere I look, there it is, just below the surface. And so all this kind of comes together in, you know, a lot of different directions for me, but but that's sort of the core of my my, you know, interest and in questioning right now. Now, I mean, do you have a background in psychology? Where or, or where did the the interest in emotion come from? Well, it rose up sort of gradually. I mean, I'm one of these people, and I guess there's a lot of us working in technology who, you know, I started in the '90s, so of course I like a lot of people, I didn't have a background in technology at all. I just got really interested in it. I was studying, you know, literature and cultural studies and doing my best to 
you know, do the slacker lifestyle and live abroad as much as I could. You know, I lived in Prague for a while, spent a lot of time in Russia and all over Europe. And um, and then when I came back and actually had to settle down to, to doing something, I studied um, at the School of Information at University of Michigan. And it was one of the early years of their program that offered a track in human-computer interaction. And so that's where the cultural studies and the psychology and technology sort of all intersected. That, that's where we grabbed you. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, this whole thing about um, emotions and uh I have a PhD in psychology, but it, it amazes me how much actual, like, official academic training you can get in psychology and not even, you know, spend any time with emotion, especially at the graduate level. I mean, it's just, like, absent, you know? Yeah. And and I think even sometimes at the at the undergraduate level, it's almost like, you know, talking about emotions, it's very, it's considered very unscientific. And it's just one of those things that people feel and it's very subjective and it's not that important uh, from a, from a behavioral science research point of view. Do you think that's because it's um, hard to measure? It's like, <laughs> like, it's like, oh, brainwaves, we can measure that. So that that's, it's, it's important. And so you can't really measure emotional responses easily? Well, it's yeah. interesting that you bring that up because I think what's happening now and what's sort of given an urgency to what I'm writing and what I'm speaking about is this nascent technology called emotion AI or artificial emotional intelligence that takes a theory about emotion grounded in an evolutionary psychology and applies it to detecting emotion through a lot of different channels like facial coding, like um, other signals like gaze or pulse, um, tone of voice. Obviously, Facebook and, and now Instagram are, are doing this through reactions and kind of distilling our emotional life into just a few categories. And, you know, that's not, I mean, a lot of people have fears about that. It's pretty easy to go dark with this kind of technology. Um, it definitely puts it on the map for all of us in a way that, you know, we need to start thinking about because it's going to be embedded into all of our technology. So if we're working in the design field, I I think that it's on us to really get up to speed with a lot of this stuff, but I think there's, you know, some, in addition to kind of this compressing impulse of our emotion, so it can be decoded for, you know, whatever <laughs> the corporation needs to, to sell or to get engagement or whatever, there's this other side of it that, um, you know, we need to to be aware of and, and how that, you know, at once reflects how we try to um, detect emotion in each other face to face. I mean, we make those kind of judgments all the time based on facial expression or tone of voice or gesture, what we think people are feeling. But then we also have other ways of knowing emotion and admit to ourselves that there are a lot of ways we aren't ever going to understand other people's emotional lives because so, it has this whole like personal history and cultural background and social layer to it. So I just want to break this down so our listeners can understand and make sure that I'm understanding this correctly, which I think I am, but I don't want to give myself too much credit. Um, so right now, if we if we go into like the medical context, there, uh, there are ways, for example, that you can give um, AI slash deep learning, very you know the, that that kind of neural network software. You give them a lot of data on say uh, like EKGs, right? So like how the heart is beating, and or like and you combine that with like an MRI, right? And you give that to the AI and you say, hey, predict uh, when this person is having some sort of heart problem, and it looks at it and and you know, with over time, 
it can find the little patterns, the little nuances, the, the little flutter here combined with the weird little shape here. It, it, it like pieces that all together and it can accurately predict um, usually as well as or now a little better than the best doc than okay a doctor maybe not the best doctors but many doctors can predict you know if someone's going to have a heart event okay so that's sort of the the there's there's a way um, that you can use deep learning neural networks AI to make predictions about what is going on yeah that's a really good analogy and so you that... can do that with emotion right so you feed all the different stuff the little twitch of the muscles the 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 intonation in voice and if you just give it enough data it can accurately predict this person is feeling you know it's, it's like 72 percent anger like what exactly <laughs> <laughs> except that in real life we don't feel 72 percent anger or 14 72 percent anger and uh, 34 percent quizzical I, I, I'm detecting a little flavor of disgruntled something. Are you detecting yeah. an emotion? But or, but, but certainly yeah, attitude? but certainly there's like there's like there's like you can be twice as I feel like there's like different levels of anger and different yeah. and there's like anger mixed with sadness. Absolutely. Like there's, it's... Well, so I think this is you've you've hit on a really good analogy. I think that machines will be really good at certain aspects of emotion and helping us maybe to even understand each other and understand our own emotions a little better or some aspects of those. I think other aspects are, you know, going to still remain opaque. We all have personal histories that shape our concept of an emotion. We have a different emotional range on a personal level. Um, cultures have um, you know, different expressions of emotion, different words for emotion, and the words you use matter to how you feel them. And it will not be easy for machines to pick up on that at first, maybe not ever, but I think there's a lot that we can learn from that. I think there's a lot of potential positive use for that, as long as the goal is, you know, kept to... Um, very the this kind of i don't know broader goal of um really adding and extending and augmenting um our emotional lives as technology has always done i mean that's you know people are fearful of it but i also think that's something that's always happened with technology that you know we design technology but then technology comes right back and designs us in a lot of ways <laughs> and it's that's not just the outside world, but that's our, our inner states too, and how we think about things and how we phrase things and how we relate to each other is certainly shaped by that. And and this will be no different. I think, you know, the danger comes in as in most of the danger with these these, you know, data, personal data powered um, things is that it has to be grounded in informed consent, just as you would have with a, with a personal relationship, say. And I think we should stop really thinking about experiences and start thinking about relationship as, as a broader model. Um, but we have to have consent. And then we have to make sure not to, uh, well, we have to make sure that it's trained on a diverse set of data that keeps growing and, you know, counters bias when it's detected and all of those things. And, you know, then I think we have to be careful that we don't compress our emotion into these five or seven categories, because while there, you know, is a fair amount of agreement that there are some universal physical expressions in a social context of emotion, <laughs> there's still a lot that's not really known. And so the technology can help us to get there or it can guide us toward a, a preordained conclusion. And I think we want the former and not the latter. So where, okay, so moral now, I'm ethics gonna... aside, just briefly, I want to tie in on it. Where are we at with like, do you know where we're at with the t like the tech, like how yeah. like what what can the AI right currently today, what can it do? 
It's not that great. It's getting better at a very fast rate. Um, But and there are certain companies that are definitely leaders like Affectiva in facial coding and um, and uh, beyond verbal and voice. And I think what they're learning, too, is that it needs to be multimodal. Right. Just like we would have a hard time detecting emotion just from somebody's face. Um, we need more signals. We do better if we have face and tone of voice or face and gaze or gesture. Um, and certainly the more context we have about the situation, about the person, helps us to determine emotion. And so I think right now there's, you know, they're getting to the point where the singular technology is getting good and that they are being like in the case of say Kairos or Affectiva they are being really careful to train on diverse data sets and they're moving toward this kind of multimodal thing where they'll detect face and voice together perhaps Um, but the context piece is still huge and so that has a way to go and of course it's only limited to detecting a few emotions right now and so that um, can throw people off and of course as you know like then there's just lots of kludgy things like somebody shared an example the other day of the the text sentiment analysis and ran it through like google and microsoft and ibm and all their different solutions and the sentence was there's a great white shark eating my leg. And of course the sentiment came up positive on all of them because it, uh, you know, or showed happiness or joy or whatever emotions that they used because of the word great in it. And so I think, (laughs) you know, we still, we still, there's still quite a ways to go, but it's a huge market. Um, It basically is going to be found in every place where we have emotions, which is everywhere. Right now, that seems to be focused on health and automotive safety and, and health, which I think are, are sort of, I would say, um, worthy and and safe places or somewhat safe places to get started. Um, the other big place that it's being used a lot is, of course, marketing and advertising. Yeah, uh, I got one more quick question, and Susan, I'll, yeah. I'll let you. I'll let you jump free. Uh, yeah. So, it's you said you said it could once it once it's able to do multimodal. I imagine it would be vastly improved. I mean, certainly uh, humans themselves, unless you're very very familiar with the culture and kind of the nuances and how you know how people talk. I imagine if you only were able to hear, you know, someone. Um, you know, just their voice, you would probably know what they were feeling. But it uh, certainly if you could see their face, obviously, the range of what you can identify would be greatly increased. Um, but you said it can only do a few emotions. I would just, which emotions uh, can it really do? What are the easy ones? And then what are some of the more elusive or like I don't even know how you how are you categorize how how are they categorizing <laughs> well, um, that, the emotions? Yeah, that's um that's a super contentious thing right now because every few weeks if you're following this, you know, a new set of academic researchers will come out and say, There's four, there's twenty-seven, there's five. Um, but I, where it's all coming from as far as being embedded in emotion um, AI is from Paul Ekman's work in the 1960s where he developed, he first he did research across a few different cultures to, by showing people pictures and saying, hey, you know, what do you think this person is feeling? And came up with initially five and then switched to seven emotions. Um, sadness, anger, disgust, um, happiness or joy. Um, and I'm, I know I'm missing one in there, <laughs> but, but there's just a few basics. And what's happened is then he took that information and created um, a facial coding system, which tracks to, you know, this raise of the eyebrow and this lift of the cheek is equals this expression um, of emotion. And so that's been used in 
um, you know, uh, the CIA, and it's been used, you'll see it on, there was a popular show for a while with Tim Roth called Lie to Me, um, and it's made its way, and people were, were trained in the spatial action coding system, and what's made that the basis for a lot of this is, well, first of all, you've got, you know, five or a little more than five categories, but you also have uh, an equation of the face that can be translated into code. And so that's really taken hold, even though that um, in the in the community of researchers, and now it's gone beyond like psychology and sociology to also history and and even people in economics looking at emotion. And um, you know, there's there's some uh, there are other theories about emotion that are based in our words and our social layers and cultural layers too. But they're not as easy to encode in the software. And so that's that's kind of what we have right now. So, um, Guthrie, I don't know if you remember this or not, but um, I do talk about Ekman in some of my books. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's I just familiar. pulled one one off the shelf. So, the seven are it's like the, joys. Uh, oh, go ahead. Joy, sadness, anger, contempt, contempt. surprise, disgust, and fear are the seven that Ekman talks about. So, yeah, you know, um, I, it's funny, Pamela, I was uh, watching one of your um, videos of, of one of your talks uh, before we got on to do the interview, and I was just struck by, um, I don't remember exactly which, which talk this was, but you you came on the on the stage it was on this on like in the round theater in the round it looked like uh-huh. huge audience <laughs> and you come on the stage and you, you know just right off the bat you start talking about you know what you feel when you're using you know Instagram or something you ask the oh, audience yeah. you know <laughs> and it was so interesting because I saw the camera kind of panned and it looked like they were like I, I mean. I don't like stereotyping people, but I'm going to. You know, it looked like there there were a lot of engineering type guys sitting with their arms crossed, you know, <laughs> looking <laughs> like I this I don't want it. what what yeah. are we talking about? Emotions I know and it's technology. It's, it's really interesting because, and I think that's why we are where we're at with the field, and in, in a way, right? Because we have, so we have. Uh, emotional design, right? And that's been, I mean, Don Norman's book was enormously influential. And then came Aaron Walter's book that sort of distilled that into, um, you know, these three levels of, of useful, usable, and delightful. And so we have this, so when we talk about emotional design now, it's really odd because we talk about one emotion, which is delight. And it's like, very intense, very fleeting, and very rare. And what I saw in my own research, because when I got interested in this a few years ago, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to do tons of interviews and diaries and try to figure this, (laughs) some of this out. And so what I found is that the things that designers think are delightful are often just completely missed by people. And it misses all the emotional contacts that people are having, their emotional repertoire, their um, building their capacity, coping strategies, engagement with emotion. I mean, there's just so much there. And so I, you know, and then we have, that's our really narrow field of emotional design where it's at right now. And then we have this other thread that we see in everything in technology. And it might be, those engineers with their arms crossed um, because it's it's this idea of calm and this idea of like neutral technology, technology that just stays out of the way. And so we've ended up with these two emotional extremes, kind of like emotion neutral almost and, and delight. And I just think to myself, if I met a person like that, 
it was not a person I'd want to hang out with at all. <laughs> and I feel like where we need to go with technology, that's, you know, ubiquitous, that's, um, that's everywhere, that's gone into sort of every possible nook and cranny of our lives, functional, but also deeply personal and social, social is that we need to start to get a little bit more comfortable with that. And I think it's funny because people don't want to talk about emotion. And so in a lot of my research, we don't. We do it indirectly or we work ourselves up to it by building emotion concepts. So it is really tricky to do because people don't want to talk about it. You don't want to reveal it. And when we do reveal it in a social context, we're performing in a certain way. And I guess you could say too, that's that's a limitation of a lot of this technology that's coming along because it's going to measure our perf social performance, our physical expression of social performance of emotion. <laughs> so that's cool. That's like a good thing. That's a big part of emotion, but it's certainly not the whole story. So it's, um, it's, it is funny that that you mentioned that because it does come up. I I wonder about how how to phrase this. How smart is it, or how possible is it to start to really um, integrate in technology with emotion when we when we really as as a species you know don't uh, can't really talk about don't really understand emotion <laughs> i mean it you know like the typical psychology research right um where uh, i'm trying to remember the researcher who did this i can't remember it's been done by many people you know they you you uh you take one of those suspension bridges you know mm -hmm. that people walk across you know that are a little scary and you have people, you know, you catch people as they either walk partway across it or just have gotten to the other side. And so they are in a state of physical arousal from excitement and fear, mm -hmm. right? So their heart rate is going and, um, you know, because they were looking down and it was scary to cross one of those. But then you intervene and have like... Um, uh, a young person of the op, you know, person, attractive person of the opposite sex, uh, interview them and with a clipboard and ask them some questions, and um, and the research shows that later on the person who crossed the suspension bridge will will say that they were attracted to that per they felt a feeling of like you know emotional or sexual attraction towards that person and and the the theory is and the research shows that w because they were in what we would call in psychology a high state of arousal not sexual arousal right. just arousal right, right right that people ascribe that to different things, you know, so it's like, oh, Absolutely. well, you know, I saw this attractive person and I feel this, my heart rate is got, And so, you know, it's just this, I must be attracted to them when That's actually, right. no, you're afraid of falling off the bridge. But, you know, <laughs> you, you, you apply that general feeling of arousal to I'm, I'm sexually attracted to this person. So we are not very good. No, we at, <laughs> at understanding, at talking about, at being con consciously aware of, you know, emotions and what they mean and what our uh -huh. states are. And, you know, we there, I don't know, you maybe can tell us, Pamela, whether there's still a question about do you, I mean, this was like, I think this is a philosophical question going back hundreds of years. You know, do you, do you have the emotional reaction first mm -hmm. and then put, and then put a, and I'm sorry, do you have the physical reaction, uh, uh, reaction first and then put an emotional name on it? Or do you have, uh, you know, the feeling and then you have the physical reaction? I mean, there's just... I, yeah, that's still up for grabs. It's still up for grabs. <laughs> like, so, there's still right, theories so about is, that. All this is up for grabs. How can we possibly be talking about building it into technology? Yeah. 
but we're doing it anyway, and it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, this, 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 you know, I'm one of the you people, know. I'm I'm feeling fear right now, Pamela. Feeling <laughs> fear. Yeah, I kind of think that, well, I mean, one one thing that motivates me to get out there and talking about it is because, is these couple of things, we don't know that much about it. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to think about it. We're kind of in denial that we even have emotions about technology or that technology affects our emotions, or at least we want to suppress it, you know? So we've got all these things, yet here are these companies getting, you know, billions of dollars of investment, making huge advances, admittedly doing really interesting things that might teach us something about our emotions, but also have the power to manipulate us. And we'll certainly, no matter what happens, change our emotions because they do change over time. Um, but, it, you know, it, it's sort of like, I, I don't think we can run away from it in a sense. We've been running away from it or been trying to make it this nice, neat, model very contained and and precise um and, and i don't think it's any of those things and we're probably just going to have to confront it and it's going to be frankly it's going to be pretty awful for some people <laughs> but i find that the more people talk about it that the more everyone has an interest in this so i've been doing this really funny project and it's just starting and it's going on through this year but I do a lot of speaking at different events and they're always kind of you know like networking or empty spaces and I thought well what if I start doing like a pop-up event and I'll call it a future feeling lab and what we do is we go in and we talk about one <laughs> one feeling and then try to break it down like are there new nuances to it because of technology what is it related to like in a way kind of broadening our emotional vocabularies but in a fun way where we're talking about like internet culture and memes and all the cool stuff that's going on today like we're doing one next week on schadenfreude and there are so many great examples of when that's happened and how it's related to public shaming and you know all these different things and and so then you you take part in these activities and then you step back from it and you're like wow technology really has had an impact on what emotion words we use what we put in those buckets how we express it um you know, what direction it's going in, how social or personal are these emotions, all these different, um, this this full range. And so I, people come out of it with a sense of like, wow, okay, maybe we can, it's complicated and it's messy, but it's also really fun and we're all kind of experts on it <laughs> and we all have thoughts about it and, um, you know, that that are valuable. And a lot of times haven't even been put out there yet because we're not really talking about it that much. So I think there's a lot of potential in there. And I think with the technology too, I mean, yeah, it's easy to go all black mirror and be super scared about it, but then you could do the flip side too and say like, well, you know what? I'm not gonna see like 10 million faces from all different cultures in my lifetime and be able to read their emotional expressions. Maybe I can learn something from that. You know, I think sometimes that, I, I don't know if this is true, but on some level, maybe we think that, you know, having emotions and being emotional um, entities is one of the things that, you know, it's like, okay, there's a defining differentiation between machines and humans. Yeah, absolutely. You know, machines don't feel. And yeah, I've do. seen. I've and therefore, I've, therefore, yeah. we don't want to mix these, you know, because that's that's like yeah, our, that's our our line. Like we're yeah, you know, yeah. We used to say machines don't think. Well, maybe they do. You know, we used to say machines couldn't do this, but now they do. Well, so yeah. here's my, I've been thinking about this a lot, Susan, because you, like you, I, you know, I've seen all the thought pieces out there where like, well, okay, the future of work is that 
robots are going to take over our jobs, but they're still going to need us for the emotional, creative right, right. stuff. But the truth is, like we've been saying throughout this, is that we're not really that smart about emotion and we don't really know that much. And I would say that, you know, a good percentage of us don't have a well, could still develop some emotional intelligence. I know I'm always learning and I consider myself, I'm one of those people that, you know, like I can't watch the latest hot Netflix series because I get too upset, you know? And it's like, but even that, I think like it's not, you know, we all can grow in that way and we're all not experts. And so I think the machines can teach us something, but here's the analogy that I use. It's been really interesting to watch. I think. Well, I think we have this weird tension with animals and emotion. So I think that in a way, sometimes we sh we resist talking about emotion because it feels too like primal, too much like animal nature. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it goes like Darwin's groundbreaking book on emotion was emotional expression in people and animals, right? And now there's all this really interesting new research that, and maybe it's also a change in the zeitgeist and, and, and the mindset that's saying, you know, I think domestic animals actually do read human emotion and react to it. And we suspect that a lot of animals have emotions like pain, like Switzerland passing a law that you can't boil lobsters alive or um, AI uh, platforms to detect pain in sheep, for instance. Those are two big um, kind of movements that came out just in the past year. And so I think to myself that animals don't have human emotion. They have their own emotion that has a different range. It's connected with different sensory perceptions. It has different inputs. It has different, you know, um, kind of forces from, from their species, even from, I hesitate to say their animal culture, but I feel like that's a movement that's happening too. Um, and when I think, when I think about all that, it makes me think of AI and robots because I think, yes, they might understand something about our human emotion. They might understand certain things better than we do, but certain things certainly will be omitted. It'll just be different. So when we think of this idea, there's always this conversation um, and people always come up to me after talks and they're like, so do you think, like, when will robots have emotion? Like, well, they won't really have emotion. It's not like a gift that we're giving to them. Like, here you go. Here is the emotion. And you know everything now. Um, I think they'll understand some aspects of human emotion. And then they'll probably have, you know, a different concept of certain emotions that maybe we can learn from. Maybe we'll never understand. So... I don't know, maybe that <laughs> sounds a little out there, but I do think, I, I do look at like what's happening in animal research on emotion right now and think, yeah, I think this is like a pretty good analogy that is might help us not be so frightened anyway of, of this move. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to be frightened know. for a long time. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have nightmares work, about this. Didn't work, didn't it? <laughs> no. Uh, Guthrie, do you want to, do you want to, do you have anything to say, Guthrie, about, you know, ethics around this? Um, yeah, sure. Guthrie's our, Guthrie's our ethics. Uh, so so we, I think it's safe to assume that for the most part, and it's definitely not going to be perfect, but I think it's safe to assume that shortly software will have the ability to, to at least know with relative certainty what emotion a human is feeling. And per perhaps, and there's a chance that even better than other humans can pick up on such yeah. things. Depends on the human and depends on the sure. emotion, but yeah. Right? So, yep. okay, so we'll, we'll start with that. So there are also, I mean, I mean, to me, this, is, this almost feels like the same argument, except on a larger scale, <laughs> as targeted advertising. Mm -hmm. So the whole idea of targeted advertising is that 
you know, you like certain things and you like them a certain way. And we will learn about your habits and, you know, what, you know, what YouTube videos you watch and what you're interested in. And then we will give you advertising on Instagram that matches your stuff. Now, sure, some may see that as an invasion of privacy. On the flip side, you know, I don't want to watch dumb ads that aren't for me. And so some ads can be funny and some ads can be interesting. And you know what? I... I am in the market for like new t-shirts. So like, like, oh, I hadn't heard about that, right? So they're like, like the flip side of the, well, it's, you know, creepy and blah, 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 is that, well, it's giving you a better experience. You know, at the end of the day, when you go on Netflix and it gives you recommended movies, yes, it's based on knowing your history and how much you watch and how much you binge and all this other stuff is profile about you. But because it does that, it can give you um, a better experience through knowing more about you. And I think the same thing will happen with emotions, but on a much, much, much larger scale. Yeah, I think that is, um, that's a good starting point. I think, you know, the where we're at with, there's, there's definitely going to be positives to our machines knowing a little bit about how we feel. For instance, I think of this just the other day. Um, well, there's lots of funny stories to tell about my daughter and Alexa, but I think one, one that I always think about is um, I was actually looking back at the recordings that um, of you know conversations with Alexa. It's an exercise that I have people do in research as well because there's just something about like, how do you talk to bots? Like, what, what is that? What is that like? And we even run it through like sentiment analysis and stuff like that. But I was doing it on my own family, of course. Um, why not? And um, <laughs> what my youngest daughter was getting really, really mad at Alexa because Alexa wasn't understanding what she wanted to do. And I think there's a really simple example of where emotion tech might help us out where it's like okay it could mitigate that situation by knowing ah she's getting angry she's getting irritated she's getting progressively more irritated um i'm going to react in this way or simply just say hey let's do this later or you know apologize or or you know somehow respond appropriately and i think in the best instances of emotion AI now where it's being used, it does that. Like the automotive industry is really, really interested in this technology. And it maybe is partially for comfort um, and maybe partially for excitement, like with a performance car, but the basis of it is safety. Uh, big part of accidents are not just drunk driving or texting and driving, it's emotional driving, being angry or being sad or um, being sleepy, which is something else that emotion AI usually can detect in tandem with other systems. So there's some good stuff. And then of course, as you say with advertising, then there's bad stuff that's like, oh, it's invasive and it's um, overreaches. I think the other problem with both of them that we don't really talk about is that it puts us in kind of a time warp. So for instance, I'm looking at something. The funny story I always tell is I was getting, looking for a new toothbrush <laughs> for um, my partner and this, you know, toothbrush ads still to this day, follow me around. Um, maybe someday <laughs> I'll buy the quip. I don't know. It looks amazing. Uh, I see ads for it. But it puts me in this time warp where I'm always that person. And I want to tell it like, hey, I'm not that toothbrush person anymore. I'm this new person. Or it's like when you, um, my other examples, you know, I went to a way to graduate school. And I was reading existentialism and I was learning languages and I gave up my TV and I was really adamant against that. And I did all this stuff. But then I came home for the holidays and my parents and the rest of my family remembered 
the old me, the me that I didn't want to be anymore, the me that maybe I still was a little bit, but I also was this new person. And I think this is a real danger that we have with a lot of our predictive systems is that they're always pulling us back to a fairly recent past and projecting it onto the future. And so I think that's one place that like kind of an unspoken danger of emotion. But I do think like with a lot of our other ethical conundrums, we can mitigate that in some sense by doing a better job with consent, right? Uh, there's, there's so much talk about transparency or privacy. Since I'm thinking about relationship, not experience. I'm thinking about like the long term, not just this one experience you're going to have today or the experience you're going to have next week, but what's it going to be like over the years and how are we going to evolve together? You know, you corporation who's providing something for me and and me, how are we going to co-evolve? Then what I'm thinking about is I need consent and I need consent as I would have in all other real life, if there is such a thing anymore, real life relationships where I, you're not stalking me. (laughs) You're not looking up things about me that I don't want you to know. Sure. You've got some information about me. You're making some judgments about me. You have some stuff, but I have a little bit of a say in how much I reveal and when I reveal, and I get a chance to kind of review it every so often and understand it in in terms that make sense to both of us. I think that's that's a piece that's really missing right now. And I think if we have respect for people and how they use technology, I, I think it's really important. And I think companies who do that are gonna rise to the rise to the surface and create those kind of meaningful um, you know, long term relationships with people. Mm-hmm. You, you are much more optimistic than I am. I, I immediately go to the dark side. You know, it's like, well, yeah, private. Forget that. You know, there's nothing about your privacy. I I think the um, you know what you say about the the history and the timeline is interesting, and 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 uh, you know, it it is one thing to uh you know feel annoyed because someone keeps trying to sell you the toothbrush or you know, the car, you know, yeah. it's like, I just, you know, I just bought a car. Now I'm done. <laughs> Not gonna I don't plan to, to think about that for, you know, please five years till I pay this one off or something. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it gets, I think that does get more, um, you know, it has more meaning. So for example, you know, if, if you're, uh, depressed, like clinically depressed, right? And mm-hmm. if, if yeah. some marketing company knows that, yes. which, you know, we would hope that wouldn't be true with privacy, but is possible. Uh, it's already not, happened. Yeah. Actually. You know, so now you are, you know, so now you're, you're moving on from that, right? Mm-hmm. And yet you're still getting these messages or this, this marketing as though you are depressed or the opposite, right? Right. Yeah. You're getting all these happy messages, and perhaps you just had a, an event in your life. You know, someone passed yeah. away, and and you're you're, you're you know you're kind of in a in in a grieving moment, and now you're getting all this, right. you know, happy stuff. Or well, so because... the emotion detection actually could could help mitigate that a little bit potentially. I mean, there's a lot of ways it could go wrong, but for instance, if it did have some some sense of what was what you were feeling um, at even just a basic level it could then you know then we could have systems that were a little more emotionally intelligent with us about that stuff but it is it's 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 a big ask right because it's it's so deep and core and personal um, and and the fact is what's to prevent companies from taking this one side of us, this social performance, this physical expression of emotion and saying, yeah, that's you. That's what you're feeling. That's all your emotions. When in fact, it's quite possible I can be smiling out at 
say just walking around my little town and <laughs> and see a neighbor and you know or somebody I know and be smiling and inside still feel terrible and feel miserable about something and this is the view that a lot of technology will have of us is that is that kind of social view and then you can take it to like if you want to take it black mirror level then it will be you know just as right now we're performing say on social media and a lot of people feel um you know stressed out by that kind of level of social performance that we've never had you know it's scaled up so dramatically from just our day-to-day small community where we have to do that kind of thing um that we could end up developing new strategies techniques forms of emotional communication for the machines so that they understand us in a certain way that's that's probably actually not that unlikely to happen anyway because we already do it (laughs) do you want to know the killer app (laughs) no i don't i go ahead i'm afraid (laughs) to hear it okay so here it goes so you have your little smartwatch on your phone, on your device. Uh, or, oh my God, on your device. Your wrist. Your wrist is the device that the smartwatch <laughs> yes. is on. The device called your wrist. The device yes. called your wrist. And okay, so so it you know you have your you have your you know significant other, and it knows that person's emotional profile. Yeah. And so you you guys are just making dinner. Yeah. And you just get a little buzz, and you look yeah. down and it says, "This person is annoyed with you." Like, <laughs> like yeah. you yeah. should. Here, here are your suggested uh, strategies that have worked in the past. To yeah, uh, shut up, be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> your partner's getting annoyed. Well, you know, yeah. stop I talking. Think, I think if both partners consent, and then as you go along, you have a chance to change your mind and adjust what it is you share and what you don't share, I think that that could be great. Now, that's two adults. Imagine if it's a parent and I'm kids. sure that'll probably, happen with kids. Yeah. Yeah, but then that gets a little murkier, right, from an ethical standpoint. Oh, it's going to be murky. Uh, well, it's all <laughs> murky. But this gets even murkier because it's not two adults consenting um of course, with a with a corporate layer between them. I mean, that's what's missing, right, in our emotional lives right now is like we can have emotions with each other and we can get more emotionally intelligent and be able to sense when we need to, to shut up or when we're being annoying or whatever. But we don't have like a corporate layer in between it mediating that conversation. So that's different. But they're still both consenting. But imagine like I sometimes do because I have three daughters and, and one's little and two are, you know, teenagers. And so the, imagine I would know, like as the bus is pulling up, what the mood is of my teenager and what, well, you know, mostly I know, but, (laughs) but imagine if I had that, she's still a kid though. Like who does she get consent, and no. is that really fair? And can I is ask, can I ask too a invasive? I, I don't think I would do it, you know. So I, I, but I don't know. I think a lot of people would. So you said that there that the two adults, like both adults, should consent, but yeah. Uh, in in what, like, if you're a company, why would you need the consent of you know? I don't, I don't well, know. Right. It goes against how most companies are arranged. Like Alexa. Yeah, right? Alexa hears everyone in the room. Oh, yeah. It makes, it makes a profile for everyone. That, it doesn't ask have, you. No, it doesn't ask you. And we, the state that we're at right now is that you have to, if you want to use something, you have to agree to a monumental terms and conditions. Mm-hmm. And you don't understand it it's miles long you're never going to read it and if you don't consent you have no other option but not to use it and you are not shown when things change or different access to your data or different you know uh, levels or you're not shown what kind of impact it has but those are all potential possibilities i mean i think as a consumer i would choose 
a com- if I had a choice, and in a lot of cases we don't because we only have like one choice in certain areas, right? But if I had a choice between a company that was trying to make that understandable and make it like, hey, we're in this together and we want you to understand because we don't want to be involved in this and we're only in this because we're providing value to you and value that's going to get, you know, even more meaningful for you over time. But if I could choose some company like that versus one who's like, yeah, just agree to this terms and conditions, you don't know what it is really, you don't know how it's going to change. Like I would not, I wouldn't choose that one. And I think a lot of other people feel the same way right now. We don't have those choices, so we don't know. Um, And certainly there's a lot of other factors to consider in a model like that, right? Like maybe it would cost a lot more to have this consent or this level of respect um, built into an app. I don't think it should, but I could imagine that would be a business model that somebody would propose. Well, is that really fair? Because then you have kind of an underclass of people who are, um, you know, getting, having kind of just being mined for their data. And then you have other people who can afford not to be. And that's, you know, not really a model that, that I'd like to see. So it's really, really complicated. And none of this works very well with what we have in place right now. And so there's got to be levels of, you know, I think all these ethics conversations we're having in the field right now are enormously important, even if they're frustrating. And even if it feels like we're not getting anywhere, I think well, we we're having them with the wrong people. Well, well that too. <laughs> I feel like we have to continue to do that. But I think there are other layers too. I mean, I think we have to acknowledge our, our personal behavior, our personal emotions and, and get more comfortable with those kinds of acknowledgements and conversations. And then I think there's simply like a, a business model and regulatory layer that's going to have to come in if that kind of future, um, if we want that to become possible, because I don't think it's really, I mean, it would be something that would be a selling point to some consumers, but there's not much of an incentive for companies to go there at this point. And so okay, that's... I have a second killer app. Okay, second killer second app. Second killer app requires no consent from anyone. <laughs> What's and, this? All right, you guys ready? <laughs> yeah. So here, so here it goes. All right. The customer are... I'm not hearing anything. Let me get there. Well, okay. So, so the <laughs> Was customer, that it? No, no, no. The customer are employers, and they monitor yes. all of their employees, which they do already without their consent, and they track yes. everything they do on their computers. Yeah. And yeah. so all you do is you have you, you know the emotional content of all of your employees at all times. And a yeah. lot of companies, every year, they, like, fire the, like, sales floors. They fire, like, the 10% lowest performing yeah. people. And so yeah. all you do is every year you just file, you just fire the lowest 10% of the uh, of people who are emotionally satisfied at your company. Yeah. yeah. And so, well, and that's, so you, that's not a far off future either. And you don't need consent and yeah. people would buy it. Yeah. That, well, that already exists to some degree. I mean, there are definitely um, companies in the HR world that are measuring um, emotion and employee satisfaction without emotion AI, like culture amp, um, but there's also a whole new group of companies, and I know a few of the Motion AI companies have announced partnerships with HR companies to do just that. And of course, we've all heard the stories, too, of like the Chinese companies that make the employees wear the hats to capture their brainwaves and <laughs> all that, you know, but that's, and we were like, oh, yeah, that's oh crazy, but that that is actually coming, and I think that's... That's the kind of um, ethical concern. That's that's that one's trickier, right? Because it's like you're an employee. Um, how much say do you have about that stuff, and how much choice do you have, really? I mean, you can choose not to work at a place like that, but then if it becomes widespread, that might be 
difficult. What and about of an course, airport? Yeah, public spaces, public cities. Spaces. Yeah, this, uh, pers- this person means trouble. You, you yeah, know, I definitely. I thought of that that one yeah. early in this conversation, yeah. right? Yeah. We're scanning for people who look like the they're thought, angry. Please. Yeah, there's a there's a start shooting. called human that ironically that does that um, kind of predictive policing based on emotion, and they're already they're based in the UK and they're already started on that. And then there are other cities that are monitoring emotion in like a, a little less high tech ways, like um, Dubai does that, where everywhere you go, you can rate your happiness level and citizens are encouraged to. And then um, the intent there is, is a, is, you know, a, a positive one as near as I can tell where it's like, okay, what are the things that are really um, boosting people up, contributing to and, well-being and, and things like that. So there's some city that does, has done that in the past. And then there's like some colored light on a building and they, <laughs> they, have you heard of this? Yeah. yeah. Well, that, and they that's... show you like, Oh, everybody's feeling pretty good. You know, pretty happy today. The color is, you know, whatever the happy color is, yeah. you know, blue or something, or, oh, people are, seem to be frustrated today. The color today seems to be yellow or orange. You know, I, I do want one other thing that, you know, Guthrie, you know me. I can go to the dark side <clears throat> really fast. Although I got to say, Guthrie, you're doing a good job going to the dark side with these <laughs> killer app ideas. Um, it's not dark. It, it's just different. It's dark. Um, so <laughs> one of the things I I – also am concerned about is the uh, you, uh, if we talk if we talk about not just detecting emotion but you know manipulating emotion getting people to feel a certain thing and then just getting just uh, like emotional uh, fatigue you know we, I mean we the conversation about you know dopamine fatigue right mm-hmm. about the fact that with all the alerts and notifications and buzzing and, you know, that goes on with our devices that uh, you're automatically reacting to, to, um, you know, all the visual and auditory cues and haptic cues. And, and I can imagine that, you know, if you're being, I mean, and, and we feel this already just, you know, with advertising and, and uh, media and things that you're watching, you know, and you you feel emotionally pulled, right? They're trying to pull you in to feel sorry for something or to feel upset about something. And I can just imagine that this, you know, the the smarter we get with this, the easier it is to um, capture our emotional attention and direct our emotional attention. And I think that could have uh, health effects. I mean, you know, if oh, you're yeah, if you're absolutely. angry all the time or sad all the time or reacting all the time, you know, that's uh, that's takes a I toll. I think it, on it already takes a toll on people. Yeah. I mean, I think this is the the undercurrent, the emotional undercurrent that we don't really talk about directly right now, even as it is where we are very comfortable talking about, you know, different like social media hijacking our attention or um, different apps requiring too much attention from us. Um, Or even, uh, you know, I think we're getting a little more comfortable with idea of emotional labor um, and, and that surfacing on, social media for certain communities but i think that's what's really behind all of this and all of this fatigue that we have with a lot of the technologies in our life is that it demands too much of our emotions that we're in Mm -hmm. um this kind of continual state of having to perform or simply feel things and and in a way a lot of our emotions are being pushed to the extremes right and i think that could get much worse if we compress our emotions into just a few categories because then there'll be this pull for us to be like but i really mean this you know and so mm-hmm. we'll get even more kind of pulled to the to the edges of that and so that you know that is a real 
a real danger, but it's already happening and we don't well, really acknowledge is, it that much. This is why, uh, uh, this is probably why it's a good thing that when I'm not working, um, I teach mindfulness meditation classes. So this <laughs> means that I'll have a great market moving <laughs> forward for the mindfulness because everyone will need to stop. They'll not want to be reacting so much. Well, I Pamela, think, I, yeah. this has been so great. I mean, I thank so you for, for being willing to talk about the dark side with me because that always makes me happy no wait there's something wrong there uh, no I mean I and I and probably the three of us could just go on and on for a long time so we may have to have you may have to have you back on tell tell us if someone wants to get hold of you if they want to bring you in to give a talk or anything like that what's the best way to reach you yeah, the best way to reach me is at Pam in the Lab on Twitter. Um, I also have a book coming out in just a couple months with O'Reilly called Emotionally Intelligent Design. Ooh. Love, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Emotionally Intelligent Design with O'Reilly. Is that available for pre-order yet? I believe it is. Okay. All right. That sounds like something that's going to go on. On my buy book list order. Hooray. <laughs> and, uh, and, and yeah, we'll maybe we'll check back in uh, after the book comes out and see how, uh, how people are, are reacting to it emotionally. Yes. And, Wouldn't that uh, be something? <laughs> when, Gull when Guthrie develops one of these killer apps, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll have you review it. How's that okay, sound? Okay, that sounds perfect. <laughs> 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 Thanks so much, both Thank of you. you. It's, it's been great. a lot of fun. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.